I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something today. I'm going to confess a couple things today. Confession is a part of the Christian life. Um, and, and today I want to start by confessing that this is not my favorite passage to preach from. It's not a preacher's dream passage, Matthew 18, right? I like to preach from the text where it lends itself to just pure, unfiltered proclamation. Do you know what proclamation is? It's when a pastor or a preacher can get up and just tell you about God's love, about God's grace. We can just preach the gospel. And today, um, it doesn't lend itself to that, at least not initially. This is just a practical teaching from Jesus about how to deal with conflict. It's not like I can stand before you with all of the joy and excitement of the gospel and say, and God said, go and have a conversation when somebody makes you mad. It's just too practical. And yet, why is it here? I think it's here because Jesus is preparing his disciples for his absence. All through the gospels, Jesus was preparing his disciples for the eventual change and transition that would take place where he would no longer be among them in the flesh, leading them, guiding them, course correcting them, but rather they would have to figure out how to be church, how to be community together. And I think Jesus understood that people, well, people are going to people. (laughs) They're going to argue. They're going to get offended. They're going to hold grudges. They're going to debate. They're going to want to take their ball and go home because they were upset and mad. I think Jesus knew all of this. And so Jesus, right in the middle of Matthew chapter 18, gives a practical lesson on how the church, how the disciples should deal with conflict. Now, if you had your Bible opened, you would see that the beginning of chapter 18 Um, actually gives us some helpful context for why in the middle of the chapter, Jesus just turns to them and says, you know, Pat, if Alex makes you mad, just have a conversation with Alex. And if that doesn't work, then come to me, Pat, and I'll have a conversation with Alex. And if that doesn't work, well, then the whole church, we're going to sit Alex down (laughs) because we know Alex deserves it. And we're going to talk to Alex about all the ways Alex is making us upset. And if that doesn't work, well, then we'll say, well, bless his heart. (laughs) We're going to treat him as a Gentile and a tax collector. You are so welcome among us, Alex. But secretly, we're going to go back and we're going to pray for Alex's heart. We're going to pray for him. No, I'm kidding. What is this all about? Well, in the beginning of chapter 18, Jesus turns to his disciples because they're arguing over who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They're right there. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus turns to them and says, if you want to be great, become like a child. This isn't about being great. It's about being open. It's about being humble. And so Jesus turns to them in the midst of their arguing and their quarreling. And he says, look, this is all about learning to listen to one another. If you read it carefully, what Jesus is offering here isn't actually about 
making Alex or somebody who's offended you, making them admit their guilt, admit their wrong. It's not about proving you're right and they're wrong. Did you hear what the text actually said? If somebody sins against you or hurts your relationship, if the relationship has been broken, well, then go and have a conversation. The goal being for the person to listen to you. If they listen to you, and if you listen to them, then you have regained a relationship. The goal not being for Alex to admit that he's a big buffoon. The goal being, I told you I'd get you back. The goal being for you to be listened to. You could hear one another. And if that doesn't work, then bring two or three others, not to gang up on Alex, but to be a witness to a healthy conversation between two people. The goal here is that we would have ears to hear one another. And ultimately, that we would be a people that would be marked by forgiveness, by reconciliation, that our burning desire within us would be to come together and seek harmony, seek unity, even when we see things differently. Now, I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to say, Pastor Lauren, you are so new to Good Shepherd. You have only been here six months. Our church never has disagreements. (laughs) We've never had somebody be mad at Good Shepherd. Nobody has ever made somebody else angry. And you know what, Pastor Lauren? Nobody has ever gotten up, taken their hymnal, and gone home or gone to another church. We're perfect. Hmm. We, like those disciples, were people. We see things differently. We disagree. We argue. We have the chance of getting our feelings hurt. We think about little things like the color of the carpet and big things like theological issues. We might come at them from very different places. If we're to be gospel people, we are to be people who, despite our differences, always seek to listen to sit down and hear one another, not with the goal to convince somebody that they're wrong and we're right, but with the desire for our faith to seek understanding. After this passage, do you know what happens next? Right after the passage, Jesus starts teaching about what forgiveness looks like. Actually, before that even, he shares the parable of the lost sheep. If one of your sheep goes astray or wanders off, if one takes their hymnal and goes home, would you not leave the 99 to go after the one? What is Jesus saying? Relationships deeply matter. Even if we see something very differently, we we don't think exactly alike, can we still stay together as a flock? Knowing that our strength doesn't come in our total agreement about everything. Our strength comes in that we all recognize that we need a Savior. You see, our unity as people of faith has never been in our total agreement about every issue, thing, whether a current day issue or a theological issue. Our unity does not come in our total agreement. How do I know this is true? Uh, Spouses. Do you and your spouse agree about everything? Not even the big issues. I'm talking like how to load the dishwasher. No! (laughs) And yet, 
somehow through God's grace, maybe you can still find unity because it's not about totally agreeing. For Christians, our unity isn't our total agreement. Our unity is that we all need a Savior. We need grace. And so Jesus goes from there and he says, if somebody sins against you, how many times should you forgive? Seven times 70. Again and again and again. Forgiveness, grace. Can you think of the first time in your life when you got in really big trouble? Do you remember? The first time that you really got in trouble. Maybe you were a child. For me, it was the third grade. In third grade, I was a runt. I didn't quite fit in. I had no fashion sense. I wore teal sweatpants and a leather jacket from Hard Rock Cafe. And on the back, it had that Hard Rock logo, and it said, love all, serve all. Little did I know that 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 jacket was forming my theology even back then. (laughs) I thought I was so cool. My dad bought me that leather jacket when we were on a family trip to Las Vegas. My dad saw it at the Hard Rock Cafe, and he's like, I'm buying Lorne that jacket because little Lorne loved Elvis Presley. I still love Elvis. It's a whole thing. And my mom said, you're not buying him that jacket. It costs way too much money. My dad said, I got to go to the bathroom. He went to the bathroom, came back with the leather jacket. My mom and dad got in an argument. I never took it off. It didn't match the teal sweatpants, but I wore it anyway. I didn't fit in. And I wanted to desperately. And I kept looking for ways in third grade to make friends, to impress people. So they would think I was one of the cool kids. And one day at lunch at Rose Hill Elementary, I'm seated there at the cafeteria table across from Alan. Alan and I went to church together at Messiah Lutheran. We were in Cub Scouts together. His family and my family were closely connected in the wider community, but Alan wasn't yet one of my good friends because I didn't have any good friends yet. And that day in particular, we had a scholastic book fair where outside of the cafeteria, the book fair was set up where you could buy books or pencils, erasers, and this day in particular, Clifford, the big red dog, was there. Do you know Clifford? An adult dressed up in a full Clifford costume. And I'm seated at the lunch table, and I look out, and the book fair is right on the way to go out to recess, and I said to Alan, hey, Alan, watch this. I got up, threw my lunch away, and I'm looking back at Alan as he can see me go right over to Clifford, and there's a line of students there ready to shake Clifford's hand, and it's my turn to finally shake Clifford's hand, and when Clifford put the paw out, I gave Clifford an uppercut, and I looked back at Alan like, did you see that? (laughs) Clifford went, no, no you know, and, and I said, okay, okay, I'll give you a hug, and, and then I punched Clifford right in the belly, and I looked back at Alan, and Alan's like looking at me wide-eyed, like, what are you doing, Lauren? And I think this is working. He's going to think I'm a cool kid, and some of you are looking at me like, you're a monster, Lauren. <laughs> I want to remind you, third grade, and Clifford's doing this and is all disoriented. And I say, okay, Clifford, okay, I'll give you a hug. And then I rumble punched Clifford's belly. 
And at that moment, Mr. Frisora, our principal, came around the corner, saw what was happening. Clifford's headpieces cockeyed, all disoriented. I saw Mr. Frisora. He points right at me, and I beeline it out the doors onto the playground. Our playground at the time had one of those giant monster truck tires halfway in the mulch. I got inside of it. Remember, I'm a pipsqueak. And in the top wheel well of the tire, I shimmied my body. And I'm on top of it. And, and the whole recess, I'm just doing this. I'm, I'm looking, looking for a teacher or a principal. I'm convinced I am busted. I am in so much trouble. But wouldn't you know it? I got through all of recess and nobody came looking for me. They blew the whistle and I had to hop down from outside the tire and... I got in line to go to my class, and I'm just so nervous. Oh my gosh, Lauren, what did you do? Why did I do that? And I go into my classroom, and I'm convinced somebody's coming. They're going to call my name over the megaphone, and I'm going to go to the principal's office, and I am so busted, but nothing happens. And the final bell rang, and I walked the two blocks home, And as I make my way down Red Fox Road, the road I grew up on, I am now feeling all of this joy and confidence. (laughs) I did it. I'm a cool guy. I'm a tough guy. Alan saw all of it and I didn't even get in trouble. Finally, I'm making a name for myself. And I open the front door. The dining room table's right there. And my mom's on the other side of it, just staring into my soul. She says, Lorne, Robert, you hit Clifford. And I just start bawling. I start crying. Why did you hit Clifford? Get over here this instant. She had a piece of paper and a pencil ready. And she said, you're going to write 50 times. I will never hit Clifford again. And I started writing. I'll never hit Clifford again. And she goes into the kitchen, and back then, remember, not that long ago, but the phone was attached to the wall. She grabs the phone, she pulls the cord, she comes around the side of the kitchen, and she's there at the dining room table, and she says, I'm going to call Clifford. Call, how can you call Clifford, Mom? (laughs) Do you know who Clifford was? She's dialing the phone. It was Alan's mother. What? Mrs. McManus was Clifford. And now it's dawning on me. Alan watched me beat his mom up. I failed. She dials the phone and hands it to me, and my hand's shaking. Hello? M- Miss- Mrs. McManus, this is Lorne. I'm- I can't even get words out. I'm hyperventilating. I'm crying. And she says, Lorne. Lorn, Lorn, calm down. And what she said next has honestly made one of the largest impacts on my life. She said, Lorn, I forgive you. We are still buddies. You are my buddy, and I love you. I deserved punishment. I deserved to be suspended from school. My mom later told me 
that Mr. Frisora wanted to suspend me. Mrs. McManus intervened and told Mr. Frisora, I know him. He is a really good kid. We go to church together. He's in Cub Scouts with my son. Let me handle it. Let me talk to his mom. Let me talk to Lorne. If he does it again, suspend him. (laughs) She lived into the Matthew 18 principle. Why do I share this story with you? Well, so many times in life, we deserve to be suspended. We mess up. We don't just mess up in third grade. We, Lord knows we can mess up our lives as adults. We say things and do things that are hurtful and harmful, that are out of our character. And we do those things for all sorts of reasons. And yet, I have come to learn that what truly changes someone's heart is not often the punishment they deserve, it's the grace they receive instead. Mumford and Sons, the popular band today, has a line in a song that says, it's not the long walk home that will change this heart. It's the warm embrace I receive with the restart. I have come to learn that what actually changes people's lives is when instead of punishment, they receive grace. Instead of judgment and condemnation, they receive mercy. This is what I believe Jesus is trying to teach. This is what I believe he's trying to reinforce for us. How can we be a people that don't just roll over because some things in life are really serious. We get hurt. Consequences do matter. And yet, the position of the human heart, the Christian heart, should always be to try to seek mercy, to seek forgiveness, to seek justice. Because Lord knows when we do wrong, that's what we want to receive. So how can our relationships be seasoned by this love, by this grace? You see, this is God's work in the world. It's our hands and our feet and our hearts that get to do this work. Work of mercy and forgiveness, work of love and peace, always seeking to restore relationship. All throughout the years when I would run into Mrs. McManus, Even to this day, if I run into her, if I'm back home in Columbus and I happen to run into her, I get get blush. I get blushed. I get flushed. My face gets red. I still get nervous around her. And I've known her my whole life. I, I still feel all of the shame, all of the guilt for beating her up in third grade. <laughs> and when she notices that welling up with inside of me, she finds this way to say to me, Lauren, we're still buddies. Fast forward, Alan and I graduated high school together. Alan joined the Marine Corps. I joined the Army. A couple years after that, Alan and I were both being deployed to Iraq at the same time. So I had a going away party. Alan had a going away party. We would be in different parts of Iraq. And when it was my going away party, Mrs. McManus and the whole family showed up and she gave me this gift bag. And I thought, why are you giving me a present? That doesn't make sense. She said, open it, Lauren, open it. And out, I pulled this stuffed animal of Clifford the Big Red Dog. (laughs) And she said, look at its neck. She made a little dog tag for it. 
She said, read the dog tag. She was so excited. I read the dog tag. It said, Lauren, if you ever get angry over there, just punch me. (laughs) May our relationships, may our life together as a community be seasoned by such love. Amen.